So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. All right, Michael, we're back just before summer begins uh, at the end of June here, talking about some new release titles before we get to our halfway end of the year period. What are we talking about today? We have the film Baby Teeth from Shannon Murphy. We have The Five Bloods from one Spike Lee, as well as Hill of Freedom from Hong Sang Soo. But before that, we're going to talk about some first impressions for some upcoming comedy titles later this year. What are those titles? We have Palm Springs, as well as Bill and Ted Face the Music. That's I it. Remember the title correctly? Yes. Let's start with Palm Springs for first impressions. Good day so far? Today, tomorrow, it's all the same. You, what is going on? Hey, get out of the water, girl! Guess you followed me. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. That I might have heard about? Yeah. The second you fall asleep, it all just goes back to the start. I drove all the way back home to Austin, and I still woke up here. One time I smoked a bunch of crystal and made it all the way to Equatorial Guinea. It was a huge waste of time. Well, then what's the point of living? We kind of have no choice but to live. No, I'm gonna get out of this. Suit yourself. See you tomorrow. All right, Michael, that was the trailer for Palm Springs starring Andy Samberg. What do you think? Well, prior to us knowing anything about this movie, if you had asked me if I thought we really needed another spin on the Groundhog Day formula, I think I would have said probably not. Uh, and I still kind of feel that way, but watching the trailer, I do think it looks pretty fun. I'm an Andy Samberg fan. I like this actress who I'm not familiar with. Christine Milioti is maybe how you pronounce her last name. I think she looks awesome. I didn't realize until now that J.K. Simmons is in it. Looks like he has some uh, fun wisdom to share with uh, the uh, characters who are stuck in the time loop here. He's uh, he'll be he'll be fun. I think it looks like a good time. Um, not the uh, the kind of movie I think we are in uh, short supply of, but it looks fun. What about you? Yeah, I think that it's a little bit different than I was expecting. As far as a movie that we're in short supply of, I think it might be, especially this year, it looks like it's going to be a good comedy. I mm. can't say that I feel like there's a lot of those this year or that I expect there to be by the end of the year. Um, you know, nothing is really going to top Groundhog Day or uh, Edge of Tomorrow as far as this premise um, in two different genres. But I, I think that I'm going to have a good time and I'm going to have a time that I probably will want to rewatch, which is one of the rare things about Andy Samberg's fun comedies is that you do find yourself like um, with Ben Stiller's early comedies wanting to rewatch them again and again, whether it's Zoolander or whether it's Hot Rod, you just find yourself drawn back to it maybe every couple years just to have fun. And I think that um, this will probably be a, a fun film to age with in that way, since there is the time loop within it. But I, 
yeah, it's it's a little bit less than I expected, but I, I still think I'm going to like it. And I'm glad that there's comedy this year. Fun, accessible, uh, Good word, easily accessible. rewatchable. Yeah, it will. I, I fully expect it to be those things. Yes. I would agree. Um, on to Bill and Ted Face the Music. We were supposed to unite the world and save reality as we know it. Bill, we've spent our whole life trying to write the song that will unite the world. Why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? Whoa! Take it from ourselves! But isn't that stealing? How is that stealing if we're stealing it from ourselves, dude? How'd you like our song? It's a little on the dark side, but you know, that's cool. All right. That was the trailer for Bill and Ted Face the Music. How do you feel about this one? Decidedly less positive than I feel about Palm Springs. Um, I We obviously didn't get much from that trailer, as you just watched it with me. Um I'm glad Samara Weaving has a role, you know, if I'm stretching for positives. Um, I would like to have thought that this would be something that would be fresh and fun, but I feel franchise fatigue, Men in Black 3 syndrome occurring here, uh, Jurassic Fallen Kingdom, that sort of a tone where they're just grasping at straws without any real um, density to the original narrative that they're continuing the series off of they're finding a way to stretch rather than um, maybe approaching it with the idea that there's still a story that has to be told which is normally the only thing that gets me to show up to these franchise continuing things so i i expect to be heavily disappointed by this film and i did not particularly like what i just saw how about you i think i'm right there with you i think there is a very very slim chance i will end up actually seeing this one i don't really have any relationship to the original uh first couple movies i feel like those are ones that i have seen you know sections of many times over the years but i don't know that i've ever even sat down and seen them start to finish i just have like fragments from those that are that are in my memory um, so yeah, not really a franchise that I'm, uh, particularly keen on revisiting feels unnecessary and it doesn't look that funny. I don't know. Um, not really my thing. Uh, we'll probably pass on this one. Yeah. I have a feeling I will watch it, but only because I'm just so desperate to get to the theater at this point. Um, I can respect that, but yeah, definitely not at the top of my list. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as members, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. On to the five bloods. Black GI, is it fair to serve more than the white Americans that sent you here? Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the Soul Brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions. Be safe. 
sentiment. Welcome back to Vietnam. A Spike Lee joint. It's been a minute since we've talked about Spike Lee on the show, but I think way back towards the beginning of the podcast, I think we had a full episode on um, We sure Spike. did. And then we talked about Black Klansman. That's right. Maybe it was in the lead up to Black Klansman that we uh, did so. our... We did the 25th hour. That's right. Uh, one of the have it. Malcolm X, I believe, yeah. or a three. Maybe mm-hmm. we did even a fourth. I can't remember. We did quite... I feel like we did a lot of spikes at one point. We did, yeah. Uh, certainly one of the more higher profile releases of the year so far. It is a Netflix release. Uh, where are you at on Five Bloods? Extremely negative. All right. This is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, if I had to describe this joint from Spike, I would say he bought Bargain Bin Bud that had been sitting for a couple of years. Ooh. Let that sting for a second. Um, how did you feel about this picture that I decidedly do not like for a number of reasons we can get into after you voice your positivities? Uh, definitely not one of my favorite Spike Lee movies. I, I think there are some real issues here that uh, we can talk about um, more specifically. Um, so I, I'm kind of slightly positive on it, um, but uh, with with some real reservations i suppose um where do we want to begin um do you want to just talk about who who uh, do you think gave a good performance besides delroy lindo oh jonathan majors uh i thought was awesome i actually liked uh the performances uh quite well um i think one of the bloods Maybe was a little bit of a weaker link for me, and he was the guy who is the first one to get uh, blown up. Um, I forget that character's name. I think he's maybe the weaker uh, performer in the group. But otherwise, I actually enjoy most of these actors. What about you? I think that I enjoy most of these actors as people within this film. None of them felt like they were in the same film. Uh, I did not believe that they were bonded brothers to any level it it did not seem like a legitimate building of camaraderie it did not seem like a continuation of camaraderie it just felt like a gimmick after a gimmick after a gimmick built on gimmicks built on films that he's wanting to pull from or pay homage to or re um concentrate in different ways and all of that just didn't ring true to me all of it felt insincere and um, from from the level of the screenplay to the level of the delivery, everything felt insincere. Her name being Hetty and then saying, but not like Lamar and then introducing her. Like, mm. it just all felt weak. And I love Jonathan Majors, but I did not find his performance to actually belong within the film. Although the performance was a good performance. If you isolate it, it doesn't suit the bigger narrative of the piece. Fair enough. Um, I think broadly speaking for me, the issue is just, just that there's a lot of movie here and a lot of different kinds of movies. This is just, it, it feels to me like there is an overabundance of content here. It's kind of bursting at the seams with different ideas and different tonal impulses, um, you know, from adventure movie to hangout movie to treasure hunt, war movie, action movie. Um, I kind of love the, the ambition in that. Um, but I think the main issue here for me is just kind of 
a lack of tonal cohesiveness. I, I think there is just real uh, some real tonal issues here um, that are just kind of unpleasant. Things just don't really click together in all that satisfying a way, in, a, in all that satisfying of a way. Um, but at the same time, I think a lot of the pieces um, on their own kind of have uh, merit, and I think there is some some pleasure in different parts of this. Uh, but I gather that is not your opinion. No, um, no, it's it's extremely muddled, and and I would say that its tone is muddled as well. But it, I mean, first and foremost, it's pulling homage from Treasure of the Sierra Madre. It basically takes the entire plot mechanics of that film and superimposes them into the Vietnam War with these returning veterans. Um, what it also does, which I, I think that maybe most people aren't seeing, is it's reflecting the exact same storyline with the exact same um, characters, essentially, um, if you were to boil it down to just essentials, as we saw last year in the other Netflix original from J.C. Chandor, Triple Frontier, in which wealth is acquired and then lost in the course of a journey, which itself was mirroring Treasure of the Sierra Madre. But then we have the temple finale, which while reflecting Treasure of the Sierra Madre also, to me, was reminiscent of the Steel Helmet. I don't know if you got any sense of that, but I, I think that you couldn't see it any other way, being a Vietnam film, um, ending with the shootout in the temple. Um, so I, I think that it's pulling from films that are far greater than it. It obviously attempted to create a correlation with Apocalypse Now, which I did not see to any measure other than, as you mentioned, the, uh, the Valkyrie. Um, being played, but or right of the Valkyries, is that what it's called? I can't. Remember I actually don't remember what the Flight name. I just know that's on. Right of the Valkyries, yeah. yeah. Um, but otherwise, it it doesn't actually pay homage to that film, and it it's taking all that stuff, but it's not really using it. Um, and I, I think that a tonal mismatch is a is a great place to start, but I find the tonal mismatch happening all the way down with every single individual character within the film and the performances given. And I would say that if you isolate these actors, I like them in their performances. But as soon as you put it all together in this piece, it becomes muddled and um, undercuts its own very narrative, which is supposed to be about the redistribution of wealth in which they actually take from the people who originally should have been paid, which isn't a separate problem that I have with the movie's message. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I had that issue with Brotherhood. I mean, that of all the movies here, the Hangout movie is the one I like the best. It is just the time with these guys. I think, like, there are awesome moments. I think the music plays a big role in this, like, when they're first walking out into the jungle and uh, they're all singing Marvin Gaye together. Like, that is just an awesome moment and, and so uniquely kind of uh, uh, spike and just, you know, not your typical... Um, white war movie um i i i i like um his his impulses i guess um the, the the tonal issues don't even really start for me until maybe like an hour into the movie or maybe a little past that when like i think it, it's actually pretty specific to when that first landmine blows up um and we, we do suddenly shift into more action movie territory. And I think it hasn't really shedded this feel of broad comedy in a little bit of, in, in a way. And I, I think that's where tones start to clash a bit. Um, 
But um, yeah, I mean, I think the ideas are are, are pretty resonant about uh, just recognizing the role of black people in Vietnam. And um, I, I think there are, are, are plenty of points that have a lot of meaning if they even if they don't quite click. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, if the point of the film is to make people aware of those issues, then you can say maybe it does that. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think it does a nuanced job of that. And I don't think it does a good enough job of that. You know, I'd, I'd rather point people towards, like, Ken Burns' Vietnam and, and those sorts of things or, you know, investigative journalism pieces if that's why you're coming to a film. This film attempts to um, kind of keep you invested in these characters and see their historical actions by not recasting them in the flashback scenes, which I think was a huge misstep and totally undercut the tone. That's the first thing that really set off the um, just my my internal alert. This is not going to go well as a piece. Um, it, there, there's a lot of mixed stuff happening that, like you said, might be important for people to know historically, but historical importance does not create a good film. You know, you can have the most important messages in the world and that won't make a film good. The, a film is good or bad based on content and, and form um, kind of meeting in a cohesive manner. And I just saw a complete disconnection from the form to the content. And like one of my most despised parts is a slow pan down in the jungle near the end. Um, I think after Delroy Lindo has fallen and we see kind of the top of the jungle into um, like level with the jungle. And it just looked like such artifice. It looked like such a, mm. a set. And I find that one part almost more interesting than everything else. Cause I can't tell if it was on purpose in homage to the steel helmet looking so much like a set or mm. if it, if he really thought that it looked good as a shot, um, or maybe it just looks bad in 4K and looks good not in 4K. I, I don't know. I just, I I think that all the stuff that he took from is far superior to everything that he delivers here. I actually really liked the guys uh, playing them younger selves in the flashbacks. It just feels fresh. I mean, we've, we've just seen, you know, enough images of war of 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 young guys in firefights i think it's kind of a refreshing touch like we already are don't see enough of just you know people over 50 or 60 in movies period i find that i found that very refreshing and kind of fun um to to see them in action to see them to see them move like that it's not it, i think that sort of um I don't, I don't know. I, that, that worked for me. I, I enjoyed it. I think it looks decent. I kind of like the change of format back to 16 millimeter. I think that looks it looks pretty cool. Oh, I genuinely um, thought it looked bad. So that's just difference in taste straight up. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, I feel like that's what Spike has always kind of been interested in is how, um, you know, uh, he's always been interested in film history and pulling from different reference points from, you know, Radio Rahim in uh, Do the Right Thing, pulling from Night of the Hunter. Um, and I mean, I think, I don't know, the references just uh, come with a certain uh, uh, 
resonance, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I like that he's willing to go there um, and, and kind of explore these connections. Um, yeah, I, I like the punk rock aspect to his experimentation. I think, like, I, I appreciate that in an artist. It's just this felt so formulaic, so unpersonal, so impersonal. Like, it, it just felt like he wanted to remake these classic films in this way without ever having it seem like a personal film from Spike. There's nothing about this film from the start to the end that felt personal to me, um, that felt like a narrative through line. You know, the the searches for the money and what you find along the way is the point and all that. Um, but it didn't feel that way. It, it felt manufactured. It, it felt almost, um, you, you know, uncynically farcical where he didn't realize that it, it was kind of um, this insincere to watch, but I, I mean, there's other people, um, including yourself that are having a totally different experience. I just, I can't say that I saw this and saw anything besides, you know, direct redistribution of classic film without any personal, um, tangible quality to it. it. Yeah. The word insincere surprises me. I mean, do you really think Spike Lee doesn't mean what he's saying when he's talking about, how upsetting it is to think about the overrepresentation of black people in Vietnam when they're fighting for things that they didn't have even back home. Like that's like how so, can that so how can he not mean the, what he's talking about? Is the personal story that led him there isn't apparent in the film. Mm. There, there's right like the same thing that we see in um, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always mm. is not the like that that thing where you just know how personal that film is is completely absent for me here and i'm not saying that his you know political and moral agenda is not true to him in this film i'm saying it doesn't feel like it's something substantive beyond his belief system it doesn't mm. feel deeply rooted in the context in the text of the piece it doesn't feel um, like it's something from deep within the soul. It feels cursory. It feels glossy. It feels at, at the top level, not not of deep structure. I guess I would say that film history is personal to him, that he loves cinema and he's interested in, in exploring these relationships, just like... You know, he's he's fascinated with the power of the medium and he recognizes like he did in Black Klansman, you know, how it can be, you know, uh, wielded for unfortunate ends. Um, you know, I, I don't think uh, many directors do kind of engage with film history in the way he does here. I think that is kind of a distinctive uh, personality that the film has. Yeah, it's while I agree that that is who Spike is. I do not agree that that is reflected honestly within the piece. I, I think that's that's cursorily affected um, w within the piece. Like there's certain reflections of that, but those things that he's reflecting back don't seem that level of honest that we see in Black Klansman with the homages to the D.W. Griffith stuff, right? Like I, I have a sincere love for much of Spike's work. And I just, I don't see that level of heart on sleeve for, um, 
a personal reason here. Now, I, I believe that he thinks that this stuff matters, and um, I believe that that's not in, you know, like that that is something that is valuable. But if you're just judging this piece, it doesn't do a better job than Triple Frontier does. It doesn't do a better job than Treasure of the Sierra Madre. It doesn't do a better job than the Steel Helmet. It just doesn't feel like it became his and that he saw exactly how to deliver something that feels like he saw a bunch of different ways to communicate an agenda and he didn't do that in the best way. I, I just can't get behind this picture from him. Maybe I'll change. Um, I certainly don't feel comfortable not recommending it because a lot of people seem to have liked it, but I just, I found so many flaws and, and it just felt so incoherent for a spike film. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, agree with you in many ways that it just, uh, it often doesn't really come together in, in a super satisfying way. Um, but I think he's willing to talk about things that film just by and large, uh, isn't talking about enough. You know, I think, uh, it's hard to detach the movie from, uh, the broader cultural moment. Um, like as much as we kind of have a tendency to try and talk about art as if it existed in a vacuum, it just doesn't. Like, I think this just has, uh, resonance at the moment um and he's it, it, it's just impossible for me to not appreciate and sort of respond to his willingness to um voice things that a movie like triple frontier would not like that is on a plot level similar yes but um there's really i don't think that there's anything bold that that movie is 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 saying in the, in the same way that this is uh thematically yeah i it's manufactured to me, though, like the the level of what you're saying mattering, right? Like, I'm not going to dispute that that stuff matters. I'm going to dispute whether or not this feels manufactured or sincere. And this feels manufactured. This feels post-op made into being what you're describing about. Um, it doesn't feel like it's a a concrete reconciliation with both sides of Vietnam and the lives of black soldiers in it. It just does not because they take that wealth that was intended for the Vietnamese people that were allies to America and they take it for themselves and redistribute it to themselves. And that's just carrying on the very problem that Spike is saying that that is not a sincere reconciliation to the very motive and motif of the entire picture. It just does not work from a moral grounds basis based on the boundary conditions that he gives it. Fair enough. Um, any aspects that, that do work for you? Like, I feel like there's just so much movie here. Um, the direct into the camera monologue at the end from Delroy Lindo is the, the pinnacle to, for me of this film. Like it is, so deep that performance that he gives um the sweat on his brow the the pain in his stride um the humidity that, that you can just feel based on how he's interacting with the the jungle that he's interacting with even though it, i believe it was on a set it just that to me was the best um filmmaking in the piece he is extraordinarily sweaty for a lot of this movie it is impressive 
uh, yeah, I would agree. I mean, it seems like that is uh, a pretty um, consensus reaction that he's the standout performer, and he's great. I, I like Delroy Lindo a lot. I think, yeah, I think the score does a lot for me here. Um, so much Marvin Gaye, the Terrence Blanchard score. I think, I think this sounds awesome. Um, it does a lot just for giving it its own kind of cultural feel. Um, that goes a long way for me. Um, favorite scene? Then we'll call it good if you have one. Favorite I guess that was probably scene. it. The uh, monologue from Delroy Lindo. How does Jean Renault die again? He gets shot by Jonathan Majors, right? <laughs> Right. Okay. Because when he gets out of the car, I remember the grenade fell and I was hoping that his belt loop would catch it and then he'd explode mm. trying to get out of the car. Uh, yeah, I, I was searching for any other answer, but my, my favorite scene is definitely that Delroy Lindo scene um, or just rather those stream of scenes in which he um, leading up to digging his own grave, which I think undercut the importance of the build up to that scene. Um, I, I, I would make the caveat that the way that the gore is expressed in this film undercuts for me, the very message that I found valuable to what Spike wanted to say. Fair enough. Um, I didn't even really expect to respond in the way that I did to the scene where they actually find storm and Norman's, bones um there's something a little uh contrived about it just the fact that they do manage to find it quite as easily as they do uh and yet just the the idea behind it of of finally finally finding a fallen brother who has been with lindo you know every day day and night since uh the war itself i think uh Still worked for me. I, I like that moment um, quite a bit. But uh, yeah, how do you not talk about, you know, the monologue also up there for sure. On to a film that we both decidedly like quite a bit more. Baby Teeth. Oh, God. I lost my hair. It looks cool. It's like way better than the one that I gave you. No. <laughs> I'll do anything. Can he please stay? Mila, he threatened me with a meat prong. He threatened my wife with a meat prong? <laughs> I don't want to hurt you. So don't. Moses! Wait, Henry, Henry! Mila should have the world at her feet right now. I have no idea what you're feeling. I can't feel anything because I can't breathe because you take up all the air. I think something in you has changed. When I met you, it was like you weren't scared of anything. I don't think the world would be this big or weird if we become obsessed with functionality. She's gonna be okay. Oh, that'll do. <laughs> this is the worst possible parenting I can imagine. Baby Teeth is the debut from Shannon Murphy, starring Ben Mendelsohn, Essie Davis, and Eliza Scanlon. You saying just now that this is a film you liked quite a bit. is the first I've heard you say about this film. 
So you're into it. Correct. I watched it last night, as I presume you did since it came out yesterday, um, and have not logged it yet. But um, yeah, this is a picture that I, I had very different expectations for going in than what arrived. And I did not expect myself to enjoy the title card scenes after the first one, um, in which we're, we're told different parts as if it's a visual journal of this story. But as that continued, that actually, it didn't enhance, but it didn't detract. It, it just made it feel more personal um, of a story, which I, I haven't really experienced a, a sense like that before. Normally, it's one or the other. It enhances or detracts. This just made it feel more personal by using these title cards of romance part one, romance part two, um, right? And then there's the beach, which at the end, I just um, was, you know, one 116th of, of eye twitch away from rolling tears during. Um, so this this picture caught me by surprise. I'm probably right around where you are with the rating. Uh, three and a half feels right. Um, I, I could see myself going to a four, but it would be a stretch. Um, and SC Davis was a star that I did not expect to see in this film. Um, how about you? Yeah, I would definitely go up rating wise before I would go down with you on that. Yeah, I I really dug it, um, you know, for a film that's kind of a cancer drama crossed with teen romance and family dramedy. I just think it avoids so many familiar beats you would associate with those kinds of movies. It just has it just earns the word original. It just feels fresh um, in its uh, beats and rhythm. I think the acting is is very solid, um, and it is a a tearjerker, no doubt. But I think it's really uh, nicely balanced with this kind of acidic, bitter kind of humor. I don't, I, I didn't laugh out loud a lot, but I think this is a a funny movie in a very dry kind of way. And I think some of the themes are really interesting, particularly this kind of uh, idea about medicine and all these characters having a different relationship to medicine um, and turning to it for different kinds of um, pain and purposes. Um, it just felt uh, unique. It just earns the the description of, of original and fresh for me. I, I completely agree. And I, I think that it's really astute to make the point about the medicine in which we see the prescriber of the medicine take the hardest of the drugs at one point um and then we you know i i don't know how much you knew about this film going in but i knew essentially nothing other than eliza scanlon apparently gave a good lead performance in her first opportunity um so when she's on that train platform in the beginning and moses almost pushes her into the train um i had no idea that she was sick so when she gets that nosebleed that meant nothing to me that Mm. was just a cute romantic scene but now looking back especially after that first title card that says she goes back to chemotherapy. Um, It just turns into a totally different genre, but it never goes to the genre that you think. It never goes to the BS genre that's all about melodrama. Mm -hmm. It never gets there because she's, she's a her She is a full character of agency. And I've never seen that within these plot thematics before um 
in Essie Davis and the very agency that her character has with all her problems and trying to balance being a mother with, while trying to balance with being a mom who just wants her daughter to have a good time with a boy. Um, it's just such a fascinating piece that, um, although it's certainly not going to be in my top 30 or 40, um, it just feels like a movie that might be something that I want to return to. And I, I would tell people to watch before a lot of other movies in my top 40. Yeah, it's one like I warmed to considerably over the course of its runtime. And in hindsight, I really like like how I kind of got into this movie. And I think that has partly to do with how she kind of just familiarizes us with these characters. There's not really those kind of uh, plot beats that are there to introduce us to these characters to get us a sense of who they are. We're kind of accruing a familiarity with them as we go. It feels like we're kind of just dropped into this world in a mm-hmm. way. Um I thought that was was really fresh. Um, and yeah, I, I, I knew going in that it was uh, a, a cancer drama that Eliza Scanlon's character um, had cancer. But I really did not know uh, anything about this uh, boy she becomes infatuated with. Um, and I just kind of love that element of the, of the narrative. I think this is just a good story um, that she's sort of infatuated with his with his wildness that she has a little bit of in herself. You see that when she's dancing or impulsively kind of decides to shave her own head, um, which is obviously tied to the illness as well. But um, that there is this free spiritedness in her that um, he very much embodies wholeheartedly and is very much attracted to it just feels so very real um and the parental dilemma of not knowing how exactly to uh support or um deter that relationship i think is awesome and that's just really messy tricky stuff that um i i i think the 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 messiness of it is really appealing and real i completely agree with everything you said and and when you say messy um i think that the the thing that gets us there that is very unconventional, but never felt uh, ill-conceived, is about two-thirds in, you go about 20 minutes without seeing Eliza Scanlon. Mm -hmm. You're just with Ben and um, him interacting with the next-door neighbor who has a dog named Henry and S.E. Davis's character. And seeing their personal battles makes this film not about her dying of cancer but about a a family attempting to live as a family together um and you see the balances between honesty and the difficulties with her having cancer and potentially dying but you you never get an insincere version of that you never get a melodramatic version of that you get people acting out or people acting their best selves or doing what they think they should do as parents um, and it's very interesting to see Ben tackle Moses's character and tell him that he's going to give him drugs if he comes back with him just to make his daughter happy, even though, you know, they would never do that in a different scenario. It's just straddling all those unique lines that um, exemplify the very nature of humanity and its delicate, you know, virtues and what you think is right and wrong shift based on your lifespan and based on the locality of how far away death is yeah yeah um 
Yeah, and, and as to why I'm not going higher on it, it's a little long. I think there are there are moments where it loses me a little bit. Um, it can feel maybe just a little, uh, a little loose in a way, which is kind of part of the pleasure of it. But there's also some detours we take, particularly some of these music lessons. After we learn, you know, Eliza Scanlon's character plays the violin. We see her going over to her music teacher's house and uh, taking lessons there. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like there are some moments where it kind of goes a little slack before kind of pulling me in. I, I, I do think there's maybe just a little bit of, of, of tightness that's somehow missing that I might have gotten uh, higher on it had that been there. But um, it's really my only guess as to why right now I didn't quite get as much out of it as, uh, as I thought I might have. Interesting. I, I don't think that I could have gotten more. I there's, I, I mean, she's a very interesting director, but I, I think that the score that I end up giving her is going to always be based on the screenplay. Um, moving forward, this is obviously her directorial debut. I could be totally wrong. She could be at the top of the, the form and just not have had a budget and a camera that can do what she actually envisions um, within her head. But I, I think that as far as this particular screenplay, this is the only way that it feels sincere. And... Um, I think that those moments when she's first practicing with her music teacher are essential moments because it feels like a normal, boring, everyday TV show or movie. And then all of a sudden he puts on that record and brings the um, the young Asian boy in. I, I believe he's a Chinese boy, but I'm not positive um, to play the violin while she's dancing. And then the Essie uh, Davis shows up and that just you know, it shifts the entire tone of what you thought you were watching. And I think that those tonal shifts are where she really shows off her, her splendor as a, as a first time director. Yeah, I agree. I think that not every moment, the fact that not every moment is about Eliza Scanlon's character's pain and suffering is what makes this good. I think some of those moments just could have been plain more interesting to me. Um, But uh, you know, the kind of, what felt to me almost like the centerpiece of the movie where she sneaks out. Uh, I think she sneaks out with a wig on and some kind of uh, stylish, colorful clothes to go meet Moses and they go to a party together. Just an awesome yeah, she's centerpiece. Wearing a wig. Yeah, she's got just, the uh, blonde hair done up in a bun, I believe. Yeah, looks great. Um, super stylish. And there's just some kind of ecstasy in that party scene um even though there's still that underlying kind of bitterness as she sees him with a girlfriend or a love interest of his own um that just kind of comes through the form itself with the color the score um the that kind of kinetic camera movement um that is just so far removed from uh melt you know illness and melodramas um that we're used to um and i very much responded to that yeah, I, I would also mention in that same, you know, zone of, of compliment, um, the scenes with Moses and his mother and just how comedic those heartbreakingly normal sequences would be where the son shows up in the home of the mother and she, you know, goes to call the cops instead of you feeling heartbroken or sad or annoyed by the melodrama, you're mm-hmm. laughing at the irony. Um, mm-hmm. And that is... That is something that is, you know, wholly original um, in in her tone, I think. I think that that's a very careful um, editing process and, and a really astute 
director that makes that not feel contrited or contrived and, um, you know, like stock melodrama like we got with that Steve Carell, Timothy Chalamet movie, A Beautiful Boy. And instead, we end up feeling something extremely personal and comedic. And, you know, when the other family takes him in, we don't feel like, oh, yay, we we almost go, oh, no, what's going to happen? Yeah, most definitely. Um, and yeah, going in a slightly different direction now, just because this is where my head's going. I, I I like the ending quite a bit. You already mentioned the the beach scene, but just that idea of uh, the difficulty in saying goodbye and feeling like you've missed a chance. You missed your chance to say goodbye, um, only to double back to that beach scene and see that they're, the, the goodbyes have been kind of said in a way because they kind of saw where, where this was ultimately going mm-hmm. um, and to the, the, just those scenes being back to back sort of um, just gets at the the fact that you never get to say goodbye in quite the way you want to um, but uh, the, the fact that you get to say goodbye at all kind of means means everything I don't know something about just that um, uh, that 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 way in which you have to leave people is, is, is hard and messy. And yeah, I, I don't, I think that works. No, that's exactly, you know, the essential part of it. I, the film is very different without that scene. It's not a better or worse film. It's just entirely different without that scene. And I don't think that I've processed that, but that all makes sense to me that that is what that was about. Um, and like, I, I passively knew that, but, I was so deeply affected by watching her after she had passed that I couldn't remove my, all I could do is sit there and relish those moments, which is so special as a viewer. That's there's so few movies that can do that where you just sit there and appreciate these last moments with the film that you know, you have when you're watching a film for the very first time and you're moved to tears by the film and you don't feel betrayed by it and or um any unearnest feeling with those tears they're just sincere all the way um and i i think that the real beating heart of this picture although ben mendelson is amazing is essie davis i think without Mm. her deep humanity and her flaws and her her pill addiction and unaddiction and her, her difficulties with sleeping and, and her insomnia just create a different portrait of a mother who doesn't love her daughter any less but is flawed. And, mm. um, yeah, I just can't compliment the screenplay I, and how she adapted this screenplay and brought it to the screen enough. Yeah, I think that's a very carefully handled character because there is some comedy in sort of the the litany of pills she's on you know for depression and anxiety but it's also very like kind to her as well like that's that's kind of a thin line to walk is there's some humor in her uh her daily litany of, of drugs um but you know it yeah again to me it just helps uh uh, make it more interesting to see how they all kind of relate to medicine in a different way and are trying to alleviate different kinds of pain. Um, Moses is um, trying to uh, support himself selling drugs illegally. The father is selling drugs legally and starting to take some drugs of his own. Um, the, yeah, the mother is uh, 
medicating herself. And the one person who needs the medicine the most, uh, there there is no medicine that will actually relieve or cure what she has. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's just there's just lots there. I I completely agree. I I would just underline and say, with S. C. Davis, I, I think that the thing that took me most is that. I, I don't really see other actresses that could pull off what she did, mm. right? Like if I told you that Tilda Swinton was going to play this role, mm. you just know it wouldn't be as empathetic. And that's not because mm. she's a bad actress. She's a wonderful actress. It just wouldn't be this level of empathy. Um, and I, I think there's something really special about Essie. I haven't, I, I'm unaware of her other projects. I'm sure I've seen her in other things. But this this really keened me up to seek out her previous work because I, I saw something very, very special here. Yeah, uh, probably best known for her work in The Babadook. She also plays a mother. I didn't um, see that from Jennifer Kent. Check that out. I was thinking a little bit about just her, uh, the, the the skill with which she can play a mother, between, especially between these two movies, is, is interesting. I'll, I will have to watch that before the end of the year at this point. Word. Maybe that'll be my Halloween movie. There you go. Um, favorite scene? Do you have one off the top of your head? I do. My favorite scene is the dance scene. Um, but if I had to narrow the dance scene, it's right when Essie walks in. And you don't know if she's pissed that she's not taking the lesson seriously. Mm. And then you see her face slowly switch and she begins to smile and dimples erupt. Um, mm. or, or her cheeks erupt and, and just this lovely smile where she's seen her daughter carefree, um, just jumping around, dancing and, and having fun with, with these people. Um, man, that's just one of those scenes that you can't believe a director could, could create. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one that's coming to mind is kind of brief. I think it's it's when Moses and... Mila, I think mm-hmm. that's the character's name, are out in the backyard and they're sort of like roughhousing, kind of playing together. And Ben Mendelsohn and Essie Davis's characters are in the kitchen. Yes. And they're talking to each other like, you know, this is terrible parenting or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, and that just feels so true about uh, what you do in that situation where you feel like maybe this is not a good, safe relationship, but she, she seems to be getting joy out of it. It's not exactly an an even-handed relationship. It's a little complex for reasons that are uh, revealed shortly thereafter. Um, you know, that this is not just about Eliza Scanlon's pain, but also parents figuring out how to best approach this is, mm-hmm. is good stuff. Which I think is a universal difficulty for parents of children that have a terminal disease. And that's where this just walks that that red road that fine line of just delivering the goods in a way that i personally can't think of a picture that's done this material this way word on to hill of freedom Dear Kwan, I'm in an airplane for Seoul. I'm going to see you soon. The airplane is descending now, and I can see the land clearly through the window. Uh, you are here for sightseeing? Uh, no, um, I'm 
actually planning to meet someone here. And the light in the sky is so beautiful. It doesn't matter if I see you or not, or if you accept me or not. I like comment Lisa. Thank you. What's the title? Uh, it's called Time. I just had to come. <coughs> I think you will understand me when I see you again. Juan, you are the greatest person I know. That's what I know now. I hope you are well and happy. Mori. I came here before with her. All right, Hill of Freedom from Hong Sang Soo. This was made uh, back in 2014, but just now is getting its U.S. commercial release. And Hong Sang Soo, uh, a personal friend of you, correct? I like his work quite a bit. <laughs> uh, we talked about Hotel by the River last year, I believe, or maybe on our top 10 list episode at least. Which, which came out this year, but we, we talked about it on the top 10. Yes, because I watched it um, at your insistence. Right. Came out last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hill of Freedom, where are you at on this one? I am decidedly less positive than you, but I'm entirely willing to be talked into being a more mixed version of positive. I'm nowhere near to Five Bloods. Mm. Um, I think I really like the tone and I really like the at bat. You know, like I like the swing. I like what he's going for. I like where he's aiming at. He's going way over the fences with this. Um, But there's just something about the lighting and the digital cinematography that I just found very visually unappealing. And I found the performances to feel very um, cardboard cutout, um, very um, just unrealistic and, and very forced and um, stonish. And, and I, I just had a hard time believing them when they were speaking, particularly the English language. Um, and any time that they weren't, I, I found myself much more invested within the piece. I really enjoyed the performances. I can understand uh, struggling with the, the kind of modesty of the production value. I think uh, it, it's just understandable. It's very cheap. It's it shot on the cheap, no doubt. And these are, I think, I think I'm professionals or it kind of feels like that could be just because of the sort of um, frugality that it feels like is on display. Although I have no idea what the budget is for this. Um, but yeah, I, I do. Enough I feel like, to rent a hotel. Exactly. Pretty simple stuff. That's but not a hotel by the river, just to be clear. Yes. Um, this is one where there's a pretty big gap, I feel like, between my enjoyment of it and my ability to like talk about it in really meaningful, in a really meaningful way, because it's kind of a tricky movie. It's told out of order. We can maybe try to describe just what happens that we can agree on. Um which is that it starts with a woman who we see receiving a packet of letters. And we learn that these are letters from a 
uh, once lover of hers, a Japanese man. She's in Korea. She's been out of town from the Korean village where she lives. Uh, and we learn that this man has been trying to track her down again after uh, a love affair they had long ago. Um, and shortly after getting this package of letters, she drops it within the first, like, five minutes of the movie. Um, and the letters in the envelope get mixed up. And she reads them out of order. She reads them out of the order. The rest of the and movie is told chronologically. them out of order. Correct. Um, when you say chronologically, you mean chronologically in the mixed up. Achronologically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but even, like, just to kind of start off with, like, the perspective of the movie, kind of like whose consciousness we're in, it was kind of... I kind of fought myself on that because we are watching uh, the woman reading these letters. The narration mm-hmm. is it is that of uh, Maury, I think, mm-hmm. uh, who is the man who wrote the letters. Um, so I'm, I was always kind of debating, is this actually what happened or is this her sort of imagination of what happened? Um, Interesting. I think there is just so much awesome ambiguity for such a simply shot movie and it's his it's his just uh expertise in creating openness and ambiguity out of such really simple things that is just endlessly stimulating and thought-provoking and fun that's really tricky because i yeah i can't answer whose perspective this is from if i had to express how i think this film how i perceive this film it is in the mixed chron- chronology that you described, but the perspective of the film that I'm seeing feels subjective to the very country of South Korea. Like it feels mm. like South Korea is telling me a story of two lovers that it had left. Um, mm. And that the, the mixed timeline is simply because of something separate. I, I, I don't feel like it's from the hotel. I don't feel like it's from the Hill of Freedom Cafe. I don't feel like it's from the um, either of the characters. I feel like it is from the very nature of the land, um, mm. I, I, which I is why I don't feel comfortable not liking the film because it it is a, a very deep um, narrative value th- that I find in telling a story about love um, from the land perspective, right? Because love is natural just like trees, just like mammals, just like amphibians, just like reptiles. Like it's just something that emerges. And I think that that's where I I found myself so mixed with this because that does feel so honest. And I, I found that so much more and got so much more out of it in yours and yourself than I did here, which I watched right after this. And I don't know that I was right. You know, like this is just one of those movies where I don't know that my first take is right. All I can report is my self-report that I didn't really love it. Um, and I'm definitely mixed on it, but I don't hate it. Mm. And that's, that's yeah. just such a tricky spot to be in with a film. But it's also kind of one of my favorite spots to be with the film. Yeah, uh, I definitely one I wish I could have watched it again before we talked about it. We'll absolutely I'm watch sure it again. I'm sure we both have the time. Yeah, I will definitely watch it again before the end of the year. I'm still not even sure if this is a happy ending or a sad ending because of kind of two different outcomes that we see right back to back. Um, I, I really love a lot of the broken English, just the idea that this is a Japanese woman and a 
Korean man and they're meeting in this middle well, isn't ground. Well, a of, Korean woman and a Japanese oh, man? Did I say it backwards? Sorry. I mean, I genuinely don't remember perfectly. So he's He is Japanese. I might have said that and backwards. And it's easy for me to merge this and yours and yourself. They're very mm. similar films. 100%. Um, and English is the... Uh, the, the the meeting place for them, their their common language, um, and it, it's uh Maury's uh common language with most of the characters he interacts with. Although some of this is in Korean. Um, All right, this just in: it's possible that Maury is also from Korea, but was just in Japan for work. Oh, interesting. Uh, but then he would have been speaking Korean, right? My theory, which is why I got confused. Mm. Fair enough. Um, you know, he, he he's a little bit inscrutable. Like he's a little hard to read sometimes, or at least I found him that way. I completely um, agree. But to me, that just only feeds more into the ambiguity of the thing. On the whole, um, I think he's funny. I think it's a really funny movie, and you know, in terms of performances, like it, there is some inherent awkwardness in all this broken English. But I always think it's. It's so funny, like, when he's struggling to, like, find the words and he kind of chuckles at the same time that he's getting the words out. Like, when he's trying to explain uh, the book he's reading and he says it's called Time and then he says it's about time and he's kind of awkwardly giggling as he says it. I think there's, I think it's a hilarious movie. Um, uh, But, yeah, kind of a a tricky one in its uh, linearity, I guess. Yeah, I didn't find the humor, maybe, the way that you did, um, which might just speak more to your understanding of Hong's films, and um, maybe you could just get there quicker. Um, Mm. You know, I I had seen Hotel by the River, and I don't know how much else, and then I watched this and yours and yourself back to back, and I, I questioned whether or not I was primed to understand his form by Hill of Freedom, which made me much more positive about yours and yourself than I would have been because that is also a convoluted story that you mm-hmm. do not even understand after you finish. Mm-hmm. Were there twins? I don't think so, but I can't <laughs> confirm nor can I deny that that is part of it. Um, and I just felt so much more comfortable watching that after this. But I, I would still say that um, the comedy that you found or the clunkiness um, that that I just I didn't get the positive note out of the the spoken English segments, and maybe that's just because I'm American, which I'm totally willing to embrace. Like maybe if I watched a bunch of Hong Sang Soo films and then watched this again, it wouldn't bother me the same way because I'd be primed for for seeing a, a Korean film delivered in this way. Mm. But to me, I I I just saw the those scenes is a little bit um, forced and cardboardish and, and mm-hmm. cartoonish. Yeah. Uh, there's the scene where Maury is with the one like American we actually see in this movie. And they're talking about uh, the like living where you love someone or loving where you live. And yeah, kind of mm-hmm. uh, uh, ambiguous conversation in and of itself. But Maury says something like, you know, oh, but it's difficult to do that. And the American says, why? why is that difficult? And Maury, who's already like a little drunk at that point, just says, because I'm stupid in this kind of <laughs> exasperated, frustrated voice that I thought was very funny. Yes. Um, that 
friend of his who with the glasses um who's like broke and also living at the who's related to the to the hotel owner Yes. yes, I thought that was just just too good. Maury wanting breakfast and her <laughs> saying no, no, no. He's 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 related to me. Sorry. No, he, he says, <laughs> "Oh, I think I understand." <laughs> <laughs> Do you, Maury? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I did think it was very uh, funny, and I don't know something just about how accessible and like light on its feed it is while also feeling just so kind of open and, and the the ambiguity it gets with really just simple it is stuff. unique in um, that sense it's it's a unique level of ambiguity that i think from my briefness with hong is maybe what's prevalent in his films and where he mm. is truly a leader if if there are different directors that lead certain parts of form, you know, I'd say Tarantino and Jonathan Nolan might be the best at screenplays currently. I do think that ambiguity. Nolan. No, Jonathan, his brother. I, I think. So who's Jonathan Nolan? His brother. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I, I think Jonathan's screenplays are, are a little bit better than, than Chris's. I think Chris makes great screenplays, mm. but I, I think John's are a little bit better. Um, but I, I, I think that there are certain people at the top of the form, and I don't know anyone that makes me um, respond in, in such an interesting way to ambiguity in the film format as Hong. Even though I don't like this particularly, I also don't dislike it, which speaks to its ambiguity of quality. There's certain things about the form that I find very um, displeasurable to the content, but there's also the exact opposite um, and the, the breakdown he has at how good he is at finding dogs is <laughs> oh, just yeah. so, um, unambiguously funny, mm-hmm. which also makes the film more ambiguous. I, I don't know. It's, I, the more we talk about this film, the more it feels like a three, not a two and a half. Well, mm. that's the easiest way I can explain where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is the kind of Hong movie that leads to lots of jokes about Hong Sung Soo in relation to Christopher Nolan, who just also loves to experiment with with time. time. Yeah. 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 And people always saying, you know, when you see those questions on Twitter, like, who do you want to see, uh, you know, direct uh, Inception? People will be like, Hong Sung Soo, uh, which is, you know, th- there's something a little bit simpatico in their interest in, in playing with time. Yes. Um, even though they are working on vastly different scales. Um yeah, I don't know. Do you do you have a read on the ending? Does it feel happy to you in the end? Does it feel uh, not so happy? Um, any sensation you come away with it from? No, I I think that the word you used, ambiguous, is the word that encompasses the film. And I think that at the end of the film, I assume that love has translated continent to Japan, um, or I guess country. Um, but I I don't feel particularly confident about its success i don't feel particularly confident about um their compatibility or my read on it i i think that that's the interesting thing about hong's films is that that they don't feel very well defined at the end and i think that that's how life is you know um and i i think that that's what makes him a very interesting contemporary filmmaker that um is certainly in the league of our best filmmakers even though i'm maybe a little bit more mixed on this than i'd prefer to be yeah um 
Yeah, like I said, I definitely want to watch it again. One thing we didn't say at the beginning was that when she, uh, we see this woman drop the letters, she leaves one behind on the staircase where she kind of falters for a moment. Um, and just whether or not one of the scenes that we see is maybe the missing letter versus something like a dream. You know, at the very end, we see Maury sleeping just after we see him having reconnected with Quan, her, the, the woman from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see him wake up and he's still with the, the cafe owner. Um, I will just I would talk myself in circles trying to figure out. Which one actually happened? Which one might be the missing letter? If it's an imagination of what that missing letter was. Um, I don't know. It's just fun to think about. Yeah, I don't. I just don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. I, I wish I had more for you, but I just, I don't. I, I could rack my brain and, and come up with a with an angle but there's there's no confidence that I can say what what occurred um concretely versus what is um a historical imagining or you know historical imp- superimposition um what is your favorite scene in this picture uh I do particularly like that one with the american scene I think that is hilarious I think there is you know a constant across a lot of these Hong Sang Soo movies are kind of these pathetic male types and there's just something a little bit pathetic but very sympathetic in Maury when he's talking about himself as stupid in front of that American um I thought that was a, a very funny interaction um I'll go with that one what about you yeah I, I think that if it, if I'm just going based on joy I have to reference the scene that I mentioned earlier in which he laments his skill at finding dogs mm. it was just the it was like the one scene that just made me like internally guffaw. I I don't think that I openly laughed at anything, but I I did find a level of humor here that I I just never felt emoted from my body, but I definitely felt it internally. Good pick. Um, yeah, on to best of twenty twenty so far, right? Halfway point. We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you! That's another one in the can.